0: Hey, uh, good morning, Sojourner. Uh, it's good to see everybody here, even though it's online, um, and even though I just see a bunch of boxes. Um, but but uh, nevertheless, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you're doing OK. Uh, I'm doing better myself and uh, just trying to get into routines. But um, if you're joining us here, and if you haven't joined us last time, we, we started this little mini-series here in Hebrews. and. Um, what I'm doing is when I'm I'm taking a break from first Corinthians and uh, just doing a little mini series here last week, we started this today and then probably next week. And then, you know, we'll move on from there. Um, And the reason that we're looking at this uh, just briefly is because I I really feel the need, not only just for myself, but also for, for the church, um, the need not, not, not to be passionate uh, about faith and and God and and all that, but uh, to persevere. And this is a perfect book. This whole book is really about perseverance. It's written to a church that uh, were probably fairly new Christians, and they were tempted to kind of default back to what they knew um, rather than moving forward in their faith and to kind of backslide and to kind of— you know let loose uh the things that they were taught and the things that they said that they had believed and so the author of Hebrews is writing to that kind of people and he's is really encouraging them with a lot of teaching and a lot of a lot of truth uh, this is why you need to persevere this is why you can uh persevere and so that's what I want to look at here in Hebrews chapter 10 <clears throat> uh three weeks and if you remember that we began like this to to remember this week there's there's two truths and then three commands Two truths, three commands, two and three, right? Three commands, three imperatives uh, given to us in light of those two truths. And what we said last week was those two truths are simply this, that God has uh, drawn near to us and that he's given us Jesus Christ, who is what he says in verse 21, our great priest okay and in light of that he gives us three commands three imperatives that, that he's called us to do and last week we looked at the first one right we said that one of his commands because of what god has done and all that he's done in order to bring us close to him he says this let us draw near let us draw near and so he's really trying to encourage uh, perseverance in, in us and um just to let you know it's, it's not just to get you through the day okay Uh, The perseverance here is not just to get you through this next week or or even the next year. If you look at the end of our passage in verse 25, he talks about the last day. He talks about when, when everything's done, when Jesus comes back or when the end of life comes. He's talking about a perseverance that endures to the very end to all of our lives. And so he gives us those imperatives in light of what Jesus has done, three imperatives that you can understand or you could see in our passage that's noted by the word, let us. And so we said last time last week in verse 22, let us draw near. Let us hold fast our confession. And then to verse 24, let us consider. Those are the three imperatives. And what I want to do is look at here, the second one in verse 23, The author of Hebrews commands the church and he commands us, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God, Jesus Christ, doesn't only just want you to draw near to him. He wants you to hold fast. Hold on to him. Hold on to your confession. Now that word "hold fast." Let me let me describe what he's talking about here. Um, back in high school, one of the the, the sports that I actually joined, uh, apart from basketball, was track. And the only reason I did track was because you didn't have to try out. Okay, you just joined as long as you made it through the practices, you know, and you, as long as you stuck around. It it was an easy sport to just put on your record and your resume, right? And uh, you know, I remember in the beginning of of, of practice and the beginning of of meets that that. In my mind, I'm thinking about speed. I'm thinking, I'm just gonna go really fast, I'm gonna go as fast as I can, and I'm gonna just go for time. But actually, in my practice, because I wasn't really fast, or I wasn't very, uh, you know, I guess, uh, strong enough to go that fast, it wasn't about going fast, it was about finishing, right? You ever run long enough, if you ever tried running where you're looking at time, but then the distance is so long, you're not thinking about time anymore. All you're thinking about is finishing. If you ran a marathon, right, that's a long race. And most of us probably haven't done one. But if you've done one, you know what I'm talking about. Towards the end of the race, maybe you're not thinking about breaking time unless you're really good at it. You're thinking about just finishing, just finishing the race. And at that very end of the moment, you're physically feeling it, right? You're, you're gritting down, you, you're, you know, your body's hurting, your lungs are, are, are burning, and, and you're just trying to hold on to just finish the race. That's the idea of these words here when when the author of Hebrews says, hold fast, hold on to your confession, uh, to your hope and and to your faith. And that's interesting. That's what we're going to look at here in our our passage a little bit more carefully. The writer tells us, you've got to appreciate this. Uh, Our confession, um, our faith is something that he commands us to hold on to. It's something that we must hold fast to. Right. I mean, the confession of faith in what it's faith in Christ. But think about this. Why does the author have to command us to hold on? Right. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his life for you. He says, draw near to me. Why doesn't he just say, now you can coast. Right. Now you can just enjoy your Christian life. But that's not what he says, is it? And neither does he say when he says, hold on, neither does he mean, hey, You know, when you become a Christian, this life, this Christian life, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be great. So you hold on for fun. That's not what he means either, is it? If he says we need to hold on to our confession, it's because the author of Hebrew knows that we live in a situation where we can't just coast, where where we can't just take it easy, where, where it's not a situation we live in where you could just sit back and lay back and just relax. In other words, he's saying we need to remember to hold on to our faith, hold on to our confession, because we just can't take our confession of faith for granted. We can't take it for granted. And so Hebrews is writing to a church that's, that's undergoing actually some kind of persecution, whether it's socially or religiously, maybe even economically. But we understand those pressures in some ways as well. We've got pressures outside. We've got pressures inside. We've got things going on in this country that's—it's just really crazy. Uh, not just you know the the social issues, but uh, or the viral issues. But now we've now we've got uh, you know natural disaster issues and 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 this pandemic and 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 we've got maybe we're anxious about the the economy and, and what that's going to look like a year or two or five years from now. Many of us, we're dealing with stress from work and we're doing everything online and maybe we're worried about how long this might last and maybe we might not even have a job if this keeps up. Some of us, you're struggling because there's a lack of work and you're not sure how God's gonna provide you the next month or the next year. Uh, you 've got kids, and uh, you know they just started school, and a lot of it 's online and a lot of it maybe some of them are hybrid and they 're going back and, and you 're concerned what that's going to look like right what 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 kind of uh, safety protocols there are and how they 're going to learn and it's going to be the same and kids if you're if you're going to school you, you're stressed out about the the work that the teachers don't seem to be doing a great job on zoom and and uh, you've got all these issues uh that that's that's because of the circumstances, the pressure is, is weighing down on you, isn't it? And on top of all that, you've got your normal struggles, difficult marriages, difficult parenting, struggles in your relationship, stresses from work or family, and we, we tend to slip, right? We, we, we forget our faith or we, we doubt our faith. And uh, the temptation is to kind of just uh, forget about all of that. And just say, what do I need to do? How am I going to put this under control? Right? And, and, and if you understand that, then the people here that the Hebrews, are, Hebrews is writing to, it, it's in a similar sense. They're, they're tempted to just kind of let go. And, and, and he's writing to them to say, hey, in all of this, don't forget, in light of what God has done for you, no matter what's going on, hold on. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your confession. Don't take that for granted. Now, for us in, in this country, uh, it's not just difficult times that we might struggle with this. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Sometimes it's when things are going well, when you feel good, when, when you know, everything is well at work, when, when, you know, you're able to enjoy life the way you really want to enjoy, when things are going well, sometimes we don't give God a second thought. We don't really feel like we need him. We think it's, everything's, everything's fine. I've got everything under control. We don't really pray. We don't want to come to God. We don't really ask for things. We coast. And even in that situation, the author of Hebrews says, remember to hold on to your faith, whether in a good circumstance or in a bad circumstance. We need to hold on. And so let me just be very honest here. I, I wish, you know, if you're a new Christian or if you're not a Christian, I wish I could tell you, hey, look, once you become a Christian, once you trust in God, life is going to be great. I, I wish I could say that, but personally, and not, not only from my own experience, but from what I've seen and what I know, a lot of the Christian life friends is just digging in with your fingernails and just trying to hold on, just trying to hold on. And the author of Hebrews here is saying is that in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the fact that Jesus has brought you near to God, he's saying this, don't give up. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing in the promises. Don't stop remembering the things that he's done. Don't stop trusting. Whether your circumstances are great or whether your circumstances are bad, you and I, we need to remember that we are called to hold on to our faith. That is something that we need to do in light of what God has done. And it doesn't happen automatically. It takes effort. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? And I want you to know what the passage says here. Notice the writer in terms of holding on doesn't point us to ourselves. He doesn't say, Hey, just hold on to your faith, you know, buckle down, pull up your bootstraps and just try really hard to just be faithful next time. That's not what he says. And he doesn't point us to the Christian community and all the resources that it may have. He says, you know what, you need to hold on, so so look at your Christian friends, look at your your Christian community group, or or even look at your pastor and, and look to him to help you to hold on. Even though those are resources, that's not what he points us to first. And notice, he doesn't even point us to something that God has done or has given to us in us as believers. What does he do? In order to encourage us and tell us that we need to hold on to our faith, he points us simply to this. He points us to the Son of God. And that, you see, is more than anything else, is what we need to take hold of in our text. To hold fast to your faith, to hold fast to your confession, simply means you and I, we need to hold fast to Jesus Christ. That's what he points to. And it's not just any Jesus Christ who just died for you and gave his life for you on the cross, but the foundation of holding fast to your faith is in the fact that Jesus Christ in verse 21 is your high priest. Why should you hold on? How do I hold on to my faith? You looked at Jesus Christ. What about Jesus Christ? In our passage, he's your great priest. He's your great priest. Now, I know in our culture, we, we don't relate with the idea of what priests are, Right. But think of it simply this way. He's your pastor. He's your pastor. And he's your great pastor. Now, what does that mean? Why does he call him great? Well, if he's a great pastor, it means that they're not so great pastors out there. Right. If he's the greatest pastor, it means that there are lesser pastors out there. I'm one of them. But you don't have me as a pastor. You have the greatest pastor in the world, and that's Jesus Christ. And what about this great priest, right? What about this great pastor? Why is he so great? Three things that he tells us about Jesus Christ in terms of why you can hold on to your faith in terms of who he is as a high priest for us, right? He suffered for us. He suffered with us. And then thirdly, he prays for us, all right? So, let, I mean, let me, just, let me just go through this really quickly. Verse 14, or uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Hebrews in verse four, f- 15, it says this, Jesus is our priest because he suffered with us. Uh, what that means is this. Verse 15 says this in chapter 4, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin, right? One reason that you can trust in Jesus Christ, who is your priest, and that's the reason where you can hold on, is because you've got a Jesus who understands what you're going through, who relates with the feelings and the emotions and the situation that might be very difficult for you right now he understands he can empathize with your pain and with your struggles now now how do i know this because the author goes on to say he says one who has been tempted in all things like us the phrase tempted in all things like us is meant to answer the question how can god be sympathetic with me Right? How can this exalted, divine Savior be sympathetic with me in my struggles that I go through day to day? How can it be that one who is so holy and so powerful can empathize with a poor, wretched sinner like me? Sympathize with my weakness. Sympathize with my my weaknesses. How can God know our struggles with our sin and our stumbling? And Hebrew gives us the answer. He says, Because he was tempted in all things like us. Okay? Now follow me here. This doesn't mean that Jesus experienced every specific temptation that every particular believer in this world has ever experienced. But it means this, that he suffered, experienced life like us. And we can make many connections with with the things that Jesus had to go through and the things that we can go through. But here, here's what we th- usually think. You know, uh, years ago, <clears throat> I had a sister who who came to me and uh, she was in a relationship with uh, a boyfriend and she came into my office and she was in tears because she just found out her boyfriend was unfaithful, right? Uh, apparently, he, he cheated on her, okay? So she was in tears, of course. She felt betrayed. Now, in my mind, you know, back then I was much less sensitive than I was. I was thinking, you're not married, right? What are you talking about? What commitment did you make? But anyways, I, I, she was hurt. So I'm trying to empathize uh, with her. And I say, she, 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 she was taking this betrayal as if it was the greatest sin and, and the greatest pain that, that she had ever experienced in her life. And so I pointed her, Jesus Christ, look, you think your pain is great. Look at what Jesus did. And she kind of nodded her head and she was kind of quiet. And then she left. And then the next week she came back and she was in tears again. And she said, you know what, Pastor Francis, I thought about what you said, but here's the thing. I don't think God knows what I've gone through. I don't think he's been through the kind of thing that I've gone through. Uh, I don't think he's experienced betrayal from a boyfriend. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone understands uh, what I'm feeling right now, including God. And so she was just giving me this join my pity party kind of thing. And, 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 and really, she's just feeling all alone in her experience. Jesus never had to go through what I'm going through. How could he ever understand? And what the author of Hebrews is telling us, right, when he made a way for us to get to God by giving up his life, he experienced a kind of suffering, right, throughout his whole life that was much in ways similar to us. But here's the the second thing, okay, that I want you to think about. Not only did Jesus suffer uh, with us as our high priest, but according to verse 25, He suffered for us, right? It says there um, in in verse 20, uh, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. In other words, he gave his life for us. He experienced the pain, the suffering, whatever that is on the cross, whatever he had to go through, he did it, not because he had to, but he did it, For us. And so here's the thing about this high priest. Here's why you can, the second reason why we can hold on. The first was, well, he's our high priest. Look to him because he suffered like us, like us, so he knows what we're going through. But does he really? Well, the second thing is he suffered for us. And so here's the thing. It may be true that no one really fully understands what you're going through. Okay. Maybe Jesus didn't experience the difficulties, the struggles, the inconvenience exactly the way you are or you have today. But on the flip side, here's this. You have never experienced what it's like to suffer for the sins of people. You have never experienced and know what it's like to die on a cross for a bunch of people who didn't really care about you. Parents, if you're a parent, you might know what it is to kind of sacrifice and suffer on behalf of your children, right? Uh, if you have a loved one, you might know a little bit about what it means to, to suffer or sacrifice for someone you love, your spouse or a friend, whoever it is. But you've got no words to describe what it felt like to die on a cross for others. He was cast out. He was banished. He, he, he was cut off. He was cast in a place where there was no light, no love, no life, there was no peace, no meaning, no hope, no assurance of ultimate victory. That's where he was on the cross. And that for all of us. And yet there was no sin in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but as far as I know, I don't know any religion where you have a God would do this. But the point here is this. That in our darkest moments, in our blackest nights, right, in our times when our sorrow or our tribulation, they seem to overwhelm us and and we feel that, that God is not listening to us. I want you to remember this. None of us have a clue where Jesus was. Not a clue. You have no idea. You have no way of being sympathetic with Jesus Christ because you have no idea what it's like. Right? You have no idea. He went through what he did, so yet you wouldn't have to. And what that means here is this. It means that Jesus knows. He knows what it feels like even more deeply than you. What it feels like to feel like nobody understands. What it feels like to feel like you're left all alone in the deepest way possible. Jesus Christ, our great priest, not just because he kind of suffered like us and he understands what it's like to be human, but as our priest, ultimately, he endured something in our place that you and I can't even begin to understand. We don't even have an illustration for what he did. And that is why he can say that he understands, he's touched with uh, the feelings of, of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be in a place where we feel abandoned, where we might feel hopeless and helpless because he's been in that place, in a place that you and I will never have to experience, that you and I have no words to describe uh, or describe or experience even emotionally. He's been in that place where, where you feel like no one will understand. And so in light of this, you and I were told Therefore, hold fast. You've got a great pastor, a great priest in Jesus Christ. He not only knows what it's like to be suffering like you, but he suffered for you in a way that you and I don't ever have to experience. And he knows what it feels like when you're going through a tough time or when you're feeling kind of lazy or when you're feeling like you just don't really want to continue in your faith anymore. He says, in light of this, hold on to your faith. Hold on to your confession. Okay? Now, the third and last thing here is this. Not only did Jesus uh, suffer with us on the cross, not only does Jesus suffer for us on the cross, but do you know what else is he doing right now? He's praying. He's praying. I mean, think about this. Jesus came. He suffered like us. He suffered for us. He died on the cross. Third day, he rose again from the dead. He goes to the Father in heaven. He sits on the throne, sits back on the throne in the right hand of God. What's he doing there today? What's he doing there today? And if I was him, I would be thinking, you know what, look, I did all this for you. I went through all this for you. Now I'm on my throne. And after doing all this, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to take a break. That's what I would have done. But that's not what Hebrews tells us Jesus does. In chapter 7, verse 25, as our priest, right, as our pastor, Jesus says that he always lives to intercede for those who come to God through him. It basically means this, Jesus is now praying for you. Why can you hold on? How do you hold on? You looked at Jesus Christ. Well, what about Jesus Christ? He's your priest. He's your pastor. He suffered with you, so he knows what you're going through. He empathizes, but he also suffered for you because he he knows that you will never have to experience what he did. He knows what it's like to be in that kind of situation. And thirdly, you can hold on to your faith. You need to hold on to your faith because he's also praying for you. He's praying that you do it. You know, sometimes uh, some of you ask me for prayer, and, um, you know, let me just be very honest. <clears throat> I don't know how effective my prayers my prayers are, all right? I, I can't even get God to answer my prayers, right? Uh, at least not the way I want and not when I want. And so sometimes cynically, when I'm thinking cynically, I'm thinking, well, what's the point? What's the point then of, of me praying or anyone praying? What, what will be, will be uh, what's my prayer going to do, right? Uh, I often think like that sometimes, to be honest. But I want you to think about this in our passage, okay? This is something I need to think about. Jesus, your priest, he's praying for you. The Son of God, Bible says, is praying for you. Now think about this. God is praying for you. Why does Jesus Christ have to pray for us? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why does he need to? Why is it necessary for for Jesus Christ to pray? He's the sovereign Lord of all things. He already knows what everything's going to happen. And yet the Bible tells us over and over again, as our priest, he's praying for you so that we might hold on. Think about all he's done. Why, after all that he's accomplished in his suffering and dying, why can't he just sit back and and, and relax, so to speak? Why can't he just enjoy the results of his work? But the Bible tells us that as our priest, he's always praying for you. And the reason that Jesus is so active on our behalf, the only reason, I think, is because he understands and knows the desperateness of our situation more than we do. He knows this world that we live in he calls it a desert he knows all about that desert because he went through it himself he knows about this this race this finishing to the very last day because he's gone ahead of us and experienced that himself he knows how hard that is he knows that enduring and persevering in faith in this world it isn't easy it's hard and it's something that that's not going to happen automatically Jesus knows that for us to endure with him to the end, it won't happen without prayer. But in particularly, it will not happen without his prayer. Without his prayer. I mean, think about this. Have you ever had anyone pray for you? I'm going to be honest. It's nice. It's nice to have someone pray for you. When they say they're going to pray for you, at the very least, I don't know if they actually pray, but at least they've got you on their mind. <laughs> That's kind of why I take it. But if you really pray for someone to have someone to pray for, to have someone to pray for you, uh, it's encouraging. But sometimes in your most difficult struggles, you might feel like no one really understands, no one really is praying for you. No one's kind of asking how you're doing. I just want you to remember this, okay? It doesn't matter how complicated, how desperate, perhaps even hopeless you might feel your life has become. No matter how overwhelmed you might feel by your problems, right? Uh, In Jesus Christ, you can be sure he's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. And that through that prayer, he will provide you the resources to bring you relief or to enable you to carry on and to hold on your faith. You know, I was talking with Pastor James. I know he's been kind of leading the, the prayer meetings and, and um, you know, you know how it is. It, the attendance has dropped, right? It, it's just kind of, you know, as, as things got a little bit better outside, as people got more busier, you know, it just kind of like, you know, the attendance became a low, that's fine, right? The prayer meetings are, are not a requirement. You know, they're for your benefit, and I can only hope that okay, you don't want to join a group prayer meeting, so maybe you're doing it on your own, or maybe you're doing it at home, or, or whatever it is. I hope you are praying. But I know one thing: I, 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 know I don't pray enough for whatever reason. Okay, but here's the thing: if 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 you're struggling in prayer, I want you to remember one thing before you say, okay, I'm going to pray more. The most important thing that you and I need to learn about prayer here in our passage is this. First and foremost, prayer is not something we do. Prayer is not something we do first. But prayer is something Jesus does for us. This is the first thing we need to remember. It's not something we do, but we're taught here in our passage. It's what Jesus is doing for us. So hold on to your faith, draw near to him, and hold on to your confession. You have a great priest, a great pastor, who suffered like you, who knows what it feels to be in that situation even more than you do, who suffered for you, and now he is praying for you. We all go through moments of struggle, uh, something that's very hard, something that's very difficult, and, and, and let's be honest, sometimes because of that, we go through moments of unfaithfulness. Uh, we go through periods of, of of just being spiritually cold, maybe years, years of, of just being far away from God or just being unfaithful, okay? But I think God knows this. And, and he knows this all too well about us. And the question you might be asking at this point is, well, why should I then keep up? Why should I hold on? Why should I stop believing? Why should I continue to trust in Him? Uh, And here's where I want to leave you with this. This is really encouraging for me, and that is the end of verse 23. He tells us to hold on to our confession. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. The one who made the promise to you, He's faithful. And I think what the author of Hebrews is trying to say is this, that when you find yourself in those moments, right, those moments of struggle, those those moments of doubt, those moments of cynicism, uh, those moments of unfaithfulness, try not to focus on yourself. Don't turn inward into yourself to see how faithful you are or not. Rather, turn out of yourself. Turn your gaze this person who the author of hebrews calls your great priest your greater pastor and know that the one who made the promise to you he is faithful he suffered with you he suffered for you he's continuing to pray for you and his prayers will always be answered in one way or another and so if you can't trust your own faithfulness trust in his hold on to your confession As you hold on to this jesus christ who is always faithful to you and promises that he will always answer the prayers in his timing, in his way and so i encourage the church today wherever you are whether you're just being spiritually lazy and sluggish or whether you're just in a situation where you just kind of feel like you're losing grasp on on faith and whatever you might be going through i want to encourage you again Just as I encourage myself, not only to continue to try and draw near to God because of what God has done, but also to hold on, hold on to my confession, to our confession with full assurance, trusting that the one who promised is faithful to us. He's your high priest. Let's pray.